What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Real joy of good living. Move up to quality. Move up to Schlitz. Move up to Schlitz. The beer that made Milwaukee famous. This is WOR 710 and WOR FM New York. It's quarter past 11. somewhat medieval in outlook content and in performance level. Okay? sure everything's going okay. Grand Union special, ready to, ready to eat smoked hams, full cut shank half, only 39 cents a pound. Only 39 cents a pound. Enter the colossal around the world contest. Details at the Grand Union near you. Save cash and stamps at Metropolitan New York, New Jersey Grand Union supermarkets. You know, they're working out a scheme to, uh, to uh, give green stamps for, for your life. I mean, you know, uh, we we have developed this new philosophy of nobody ever really ever really pays for anything really. In the end, he gets uh, enough green stamps back, and he gets enough discounts so that nobody ever really shells out. You realize that, of course. Slowly but surely, mankind is gradually inching himself forward towards that great, great golden glow in the horizon that he's been going after on his hands and knees ever since the first one crawled out of the first primeval mud puddle and shed his last pair of vestigial gill covers. And he says, look, look at that light over there, Charlie. Let's go. And so they started to crawl toward the light. Everybody left their caves and started to crawl toward the light, and we've been crawling toward it ever since. We're getting close to it now with the green stamps, you know, and everything. We'll be, we'll be there yet one day, right there in the middle of all that light. Yes, Ronald Metzger was a man with a mission. Find out what Ronald Metzger did for all of us. These and other thrilling moments will be yours in the next 45 minutes on the Harold Murchison Show, brought to you by the Fulfillment Corporation of America. 
guaranteed to make your life richer, deeper, with more significance, and certainly more meaning to each and every one of you, which is all of us, really, in a way. We've been digging for this. Dear Mr. Shepard, did you know that one of Merrill Hogue's feet was size six and a half and the other size four and a half? Signed, the baseball fan. How's that for a statistic? Well, of course, I'm, I'm a statistic type. I, I've been digging statistics for years. You know, there's a funny thing about, about baseball players, uh, about their superstitions. There was this one ball player who played who uh, wore the same pair of socks for seven seasons running. This is a fact. This is a true fact. He played, yes, that's right. He played, he played in the National League. And uh, he, had a, he had a theory. No one knows quite how it got started. In fact, he himself never could tell you very clearly about how it got started. But he had a theory that if he got his socks twisted around, in other words, if he wore, if he wore one sock, say sock number one on his left foot one morning, and that would, of course, follow that sock number two would be on his right foot, and he would go out to the ballpark. These are those big white sweat socks, you know. And he'd go out to the ballpark, and he'd get three hits that day. Well, he had a theory that if he wore the same socks in the same, that is, the same way, you know, if he wore sock number one on his left foot, the next day, that that would continue, his luck would continue. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, prior to Joe DiMaggio's 56-game streak, where DiMaggio hit in 56 games, this guy hit in 42 straight games, and he got pretty gamey at the end of the 42nd game. Because he, ne- he also had a theory that he shouldn't wash his socks, that as long as his socks were not washed, it would maintain his, his hitting streak, see? And uh, no, that's a fact. This guy played in the National League. And he went on and on and on. Of course, I'll tell you about the time I had this problem. Of course, I've often spoken to this. Because you get undone by the smallest things. And you might be. Have you ever, have you ever wondered? No, no, no. Everybody's out there laughing and chuckling at this. But you know, this guy was a good hitter. And he might have hit on something. Has it ever occurred to you that, that all the rotten luck you've been having in your life is because you've been wearing your socks on the wrong feet? You don't even think about this when you get up. I mean, you really should think about these things. I have had problems after problems. I'll never forget the time I... I've told this story endlessly because, you see, it is an important story. It was once when I was a ball player, see, and uh, my batting average had plummeted. I was hitting... Um, oh, please. I, I cannot even put that on the air, Jim. That is just too... Uh, for those of you who want to know what Jim, the engineer who was on with us now wanted me to say there uh, we can't we got women and children with us jim for heaven's sakes please i'm surprised at the man of your stature anyway uh, if you want to know what jim ha- his comment on this show just get in touch with us and we'll send you the answer in plain sealed wrapper and you must be over 21 of course we don't want anyone to be offended but uh, i've often told this story because it was a turning point in my life i remember i remember dan one day I'm plodding back to home plate after striking out with two men on. And there's this a story I've told, so don't, don't turn around and say, Shepard's told this before. It's an important story. This is a leap motive. You know what is it? A leap motive? It keeps weaving in and out of my life, you see. And I'm coming back to the plate and the sunshine, the watery minor league sun is shining down. It doesn't get as sunny, you know, in minor league ballparks as it does in major league ball. They don't have the same sun at all. All that imitation grass and all that. 
So I'm coming back from home plate, and I throw my Louisville slugger in the direction of the batting rack. I'm sort of walking back, and my manager looks out of the dugout, and he's been looking at me all season trying to figure out why I'm batting 148 when I'm big enough to be batting at least 210. And he looks out, and all of a sudden he spots it, and he hollers at me, Shepard, I got it! And everybody in the stands stopped talking and drinking beer and everything because he hollered with that loud, rough, hoarse voice. And I looked down, I says, What's the matter? He says, Tight underwear! And he was right. That's held me back for years. Of course, I got all this old underwear. I don't know what to do with it. I mean, it's all tight, but I don't know what to do. What are you going to do? You don't throw underwear away. You just wear it away. Uh, Ronald Metzger was a man with a mission. He did it for all of us. And I better do it for all of us now, right here myself. Uh, We have with us this morning Go-Go Mobile, which is the name of the little car that I've been driving now for the past couple of weeks and getting a real ball out of it. And I would like to say many things about the Gogomobile, but the things, you know, the funny thing about an automobile, it's, it's, uh, it's a very subjective thing, and you cannot describe to a person the way a car drives, and you cannot describe convenience unless you experience it. None of these things are, are easily describable. But I will say this about it, and I, I'm going to insist them all here. I have a note... I would like to read a note from Newsweek. This is a, an article that appeared in Newsweek about the Gogomobile. To many a German, the area around the Bavarian village of Dingolfing carries the humorous connotation of the American Ozarks or Lower Slobobia. Even Dingolfing's main claim to fame sounds as though it came straight out of the comic strips. It's the Gogomobile, a miniature two two-door car which has been likened variously to a turtle, beetle, and so on, whose rear-mounted two-cylinder engine delivers up to 70 miles per gallon of gas. How many drops? Is a favorite German station attendant's joke whenever a go-go scoots up to the pump. But the go-go-mobile, and this is the point that, you, that it should be stressed, is no longer a laughing matter to the old-line German automakers who have watched it capture the lion's share, 55%, of the German minicar market in three short years. There are thousands, hundreds of thousands of these little cars, and they're fast, peppy, as they describe them, on the road. And they're really beginning to move here in the States because, and this is the point, the the man who designed it, a man by the name of Glass, G-L-A-S, says, and we quote, The base of all motorization in the vast underdeveloped areas is still the vehicle. When he says underdeveloped, he's talking about people who don't have cars and who need automobiles today, but who find they're too inconvenient to own. Have you noticed that a lot of people in New York have said that it's no good owning a car in New York? That is true, because it isn't really practical to own a car in New York, or in any city for that matter, any longer. That's what he calls an underdeveloped area. He says... uh, the basis of all, of all the motorization is still the vehicle which is built on the ideas which made Ford's Model T such a success, simple, rugged, and inexpensive to produce. And this is the Gogomobile. It's a beautifully made car using all the famous German technology and German materials, which are always tops, really. The uh, engine in this car has five moving parts to it. And the entire motor unit can be replaced in about a half an hour by a mechanic, and the the 
the whole business of service is easy because there are over 300 dealers in the country already. And if you would like to find out about the Gogomobile, and believe me, nobody's going to be pounding on your door or anything. If you would like to get pictures of this car, and if you're thinking of buying any kind of a car this year, even a used car, you should know about the Gogo because you can get a brand new T400 Gogomobile for less than $1,000. This is a brand new car that will give you many years of real service. Now, the one I'm driving is the TS400, which is a, a uh, small... Really, it's, it's a, it's a four-seater. It's a four-seated, tiny, hardtop coupe with an Italian body, which sells for less than $1,500, and was described, incidentally, by Tom McCahill as one of the most beautiful little cars on the road. Uh, this is the Gogomobile. And if you would like to get information, they'll just send this stuff out for you. All you have to do is call them now, and they're not going to be, believe me, they're not going to be banging on your door. They will merely send you descriptive literature. You can give them a call for information, for prices or anything, at Plaza 7, 7790. They are sitting there now, and if you give them a call, they'd be glad to answer any questions. That's Plaza 7, 7790 in New York. And uh, incidentally, if you're in town, you'll find them in the showroom at 55th and Broadway. That's Plaza 7790. Or if you would like to send send for the information, if you live out of town and you don't want to risk a call, just put a put a postcard in the mail and address it to GoGo, G-O-G-O, W-O-R, New York. GoGo. And this is a this is a kind of a car for a person who who uh, hates all the uh, the the glop of owning a car, you know? Like not having ever a place to park, for example. And uh, constantly having it having it covered with these footprints. That kind of thing, you know? And uh, the things that people scrawl on the back of cars when they have dust on them. Ronald Metzger did it for all of us, so don't give up hope. Don't give up. I know this is deep water, son. I know it's getting deeper and darker as we go closer and closer and get get nearer. And so all these guys came out of their caves and they saw that golden light there in the horizon. And they started to crawl forward on their knees. That's where it's going to be. That's where the golden light is. That's where it's going to be. Don't worry about it, Jimmy. That's where it's going to be. For a really good time. Remember this rhyme. Good taste picks the golden six. Six cans of Miller Highlight from Milwaukee. This is WOR 710 and WOR FM New York. Grand Union Special, ready-to-eat smoked hams. Full cut, shank half, only 39 cents a pound. Repeat, only 39 cents a pound. And enter the colossal around-the-world contest. Details at the Grand Union near you. Save cash and stamps at Metropolitan New York, New Jersey, Grand Union Supermarkets. The time is exactly 11.29, Eastern Daylight Saving Time. Which is no excuse at all. You hear about the wife of the ball player who was a big hitter? And uh, he was in a slump, so his wife got him a trailer and took, yes. him, out, took him out front and said, that'll make your home run. <laughs> no, no. Oh. no. It's uh, shaggy. No. Dan, please, that's not shaggy. That's hairy. <laughs> oh. I'm always a little worried when a guy starts out with a lead like that. Ronald Metzger was a man with a mission. You'll find out what Ronald did for all of us before the end of this program. 
Yes, this is the Fulfillment Corporation of America once again greeting you as a friend. Put her there, friend. <laughs> yes, we're your friend. We're going to fulfill you. Oh, boy, it's going to be a great, deep, wonderful, singing, beautiful, rich, verdant life before it's all over. So come on, put your hand out in a friendly, in a friendly soldier-like fashion. And don't forget to walk your post in a military manner. Come on now. Always on the alert. Are you always on the alert in this life? Here's here's the thing that that, that uh, speaking of that, you know, have you ever have you ever felt that you don't have the secret? Somebody sent me this clipping, and they said, uh, "Dear Mr. Shepard, here is a note on how to make big money in the senator business." And this makes me kind of, oh, you know, I feel this inside of me. I will read this to you without comment. Helpful hints on the art of making and keeping friends were given recently by a man who has spent his public career as a human relations practitioner. I thought he was a legislator. Senator Lyndon Johnson, among those best applicable to life insurance. One, listen to the things you must do to make money in the senator business. And maybe you can apply these to your poor little miserable sniveling life. Maybe it'll work out for you after all. One, learn to remember names. Two, uh, be a comfortable person so that there's no strain in being with you. Are you a comfortable person? I mean, uh, you know, how, how does it feel there back around there where that... in the back there? Be relaxed and easygoing so the things don't ruffle. A guard against the impression that you know it all, even if you do know it all. Don't let anybody know that, you're, you, that you have any intelligence. I mean, in this day and age, that's not very good. Cultivate the quality of being interesting. And uh, I suppose that means get a bright-eyed look. Be interesting. Sit there with your head at a certain angle. Here's a kind of a nice one. Study the scratchy elements of your personality even those of which you may be unconscious. That's going to make it very easy. That's a very simple thing to do, to study the scratchy elements of your personality, particularly those parts of which you are unconscious. And I'll tell you how you can do that. Scratchy elements in your personality. I wonder if Voltaire had a lot of scratchy elements. Jonathan Swift. All kinds of little scratchy things sticking out. And sincerely try to heal on an honest basis every misunderstanding you have had or now have. Let's get together here. Practice liking people. We will have uh, people liking practice now from 10 until 11 every morning at the same time, friends. And uh, never miss an opportunity to uh, shout a word of congratulations at anybody in your neighborhood. Hi, Charlie. Congratulations. On what? Oh, on being Charlie. You're lucky, Charlie. I'm Fred. You know how rotten that is. I don't make money in the senator business, so don't give up. Ronald Metzger was a man with a mission, and uh, it's going to work out. Uh, you know, I'm in a very embarrassing position here this morning. I, I, I wanted to read a piece from from a book which came out in 1931. A book which for a long time has been one of my favorite pieces of humor writing. 
because it, uh, like all good humor, it says a lot more than the laughs imply. In other words, the laughs are, are merely subsidiary uh, results of what is being said. But it's a book which was written by a man who was for many years and as far as I know still is a contributor to Punch magazine. One of the few Englishmen, of course we could go into, into the whole basis of English humor, but a magnificent humor book. Do you know it, Dan? Do you know a book called 1066 and all that? Well, this has been a classic for a long time and has been unavailable. It's one of those things that, that uh, a lot of people know about and uh, few people have the good fortune to own. But it has recently come out in paperback. And I, I brought a copy of it from the paper book gallery, put it on my desk. This shows you uh, how valuable this book is. Put it on my desk, and ten minutes later, it was taken. As I came in this morning, I was going to read parts of it because it's a real gas. You know what, a, what the book is about? It's true history. You know what is a true history as opposed to the kind of history you read in history books? True history, which is really, in, in essence, philosophically, the real history, is history that people remember as opposed to the history that's in books, and it is riotously funny. It's a magnificent example of really sustained, really sustained philosophical humor. And it's called 1066 and all that, and I cannot read a copy of it to you. All I can say is that I'm going to try to get a copy to read tomorrow night on tomorrow night's show. Yeah, it goes all the way back from the very earliest days of, of English history up to the present day. 1066 and all that. It's the kind of history that I remember. I can remember... Was it William of Orange who got involved at, uh, at the Battle of Hastings? Or was it the Battle of Archangel? No, no, actually, yes, it was, it was Agincourt. Agincourt, and there was a man named Harold the Red there. And the, uh, the two of them, I, I remember, uh, later on they had a treaty that they signed. There was a guy named Sir John who signed this, this big scroll called the Magna Carta. And this scroll was a kind of a thing that made everybody, you know, it, it, was a, it was a thing that made everybody free, except the serfs, who remained the serfs for at least 300 years after that, due to the fact that Sir Walter Scott was writing about them. And uh, Sir Walter Scott liked the idea of guys wearing brass collars. <laughs> I mean, you know how Beowulf was, even in those days. So if you would like to pick up a copy of this, I would love to, I would like to recommend it to you, except... You know, I do recommend it to you, but I cannot read it to you this morning. 1066 and all that. And you can pick up a copy at the Paper Book Gallery. And if you're coming into New York today and uh, you want a place to make a kind of a headquarters or at least to spend an hour or two that is true New York, that really is New York, if you're living out in Jersey and somewhere and, and you always spend your time standing under that sign that blows smoke out over Times Square and you keep fooling around in front of the planter's peanut shop there and the guy that's putting the names like Corky on Donald Duck hats, and you say, what are we going to do? All we got around here is Howard Johnsons and guys in the big movies. Let's do something. I, never... I would like to recommend the paper book gallery, which is on Sheridan Square, down in the village. You just take the 7th Avenue subway and get off at Sheridan Square, and you are there. The captain shouted as he staggered down the hatch, we are lost. Uh, excuse me. 
That's at Sheridan Square, and it's Seventh uh, Avenue and Tenth Street in Sheridan Square. And uh, it's the paperback gallery, and the book that we described here is a book called 1066 and All That. It's uh, history the way it really is, as opposed to the history that you read. And oh, another one, they have another paperback, paper book gallery store. It's on 3rd Street off of Sullivan. 3rd Street off of Sullivan, just back at the NYU campus down in the village. This is the paperback, paper book gallery. Paper book gallery. And oh, you can also buy uh, tickets to almost all of the off-Broadway shows there. And if you have any questions about cheap little crummy Italian restaurants, the, uh, you know, the village type, you'll find them, uh, the people behind the counter there will give you any kind of info on it. And they'll level. <laughs> Stay out of Frida's. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> this is the paperback gallery. Ronald Medsker, do you have my gothic music there, please? I think that uh, we, we might as well level and tell you what Ronald Medsker did for us. But before we do that, fellow sufferers, I see where this, uh, I saw this little note in the Times. I suppose you saw it in the, I'm a great fan of uh, want ads and stuff that says for sale, fully equipped 100 million volt electron accelerator in good operating order, built by General Electrics Corporation, served as a fine instrument for basic research laboratory, the University of Chicago. You know what that is, don't you? That's an atom smasher. It's a 100 million volt atom smasher. Wouldn't that make a wonderful hobby? I mean, it really would. This thing is a giant thing. You could have it installed. It's, it's much more fun than ham radio, Jimmy. You have it, and it's a certainly, because most of the guys who are interested in ham radio are not interested in talking to anybody. They're interested in the gadgets. Where would you put it in your basement? Yeah, it's true. It's not part of a mobile, and you can't work anybody on six with it. Oh, think of the fun you'd have. Can't you just hear boom? The neighborhood rocks. They said, that's old Charlie down there. That's, that's, uh, that's old Jimmy. He's uh, smashing some atoms tonight. Boom! By George, he gets fun out of life. Boom! Yes, sir, he sure really digs. Boom! He has more fun than anybody. 100 million volt one. It's very, very easy. Buy, they have a buy now, pay later plan. Uh, so you can extend it indefinitely. Everything. They're fixing out a credit card so you won't ever have to pay for your life. You know, I, I have a feeling that one day we're, we're going to be born, when people are born, they're going to be automatically given a special non-wear-outable card which is attached to their hand, which is their universal credit card for life. And they just charge everything all through their life. And, of course, capital punishment would be the tearing up of that credit card by the judge. He just tears up the credit card and you're done. You have to skulk out in the bushes back of the Howard Johnsons forever and ever and ever. We have a we have a communique. What did I do with it? A communique from a guy who sent me a wire, and he said that the uh, Howard Johnson at the New Bedford Exchange on the Pennsylvania Turnpike now has 26 flavors in stock, in spite of the big sign that says 28. But he says that's the best he's hit yet. Yes. So we're moving along. Oh, boy, here's where I... Listen to this. Don't you feel gothic? Don't you feel like you got little gargoyles growing out of your ears? 
and your eyes are long slanted tall thin windows with deep panes of blue stained glass peering out over a rich moving undulating gray world made of old granite pockmarked by the erosion of time gothic Ronald Metzger was a man with a mission he climbed into his farm truck drove to Marshall Illinois swung the truck onto the sidewalk and bowled it clear around the square shearing off 33 parking meters like corn stalks he whooped with glee Woo-hoo. the sheriff jumped onto the running board to break up the game but Metzger pushed him off Metzger later declared from behind bars that his only regret was that he had missed two of the offending meters. You realize that Ronald Metzger gave it up for all of us? He did it? This is a brief eulogy to Ronald Metzger behind bars in Marshall, Illinois. Oh, Ronald. We know that you are a man among men. We stand awed. We stand, nay, indeed, in the shadow of thy immense image, O Ronald Metzger of Marshall, Illinois. We realize, of course, that there are but few men who can ever rise to the great heights of attainment and courage and tenacity such as you have. That the sort of courage you showed was courage far and above and beyond the call of usual civilian duty. The kind of courage that rises above and above and above the small modicum of animal-like, ferret-like courage that we have in our tiny grain-like lives. And so Ronald Medsker, man among men, who got into his farm truck and drove to Marshall, Illinois, swung his truck around the sidewalk and sheared off 33 parking meters, doing it for all of us, Ronald Metzger, we can but stand and salute thee. Avant, avant, O Metzger. There, he gets the he gets the note of supreme, of supreme ecstatic joy. He's behind bars though. Somehow it's sad. Do you realize he did it for all of us? Like I was reading this crossword puzzle. You know, I. I, I'm, I'm one of probably one of the few guys who, who works a crossword puzzle and thinks about the words that come out and thinks of these strange words that, that uh, have all sorts of connotations. There's a word called a bacchanalian cry. It's evo. Have you ever run into that word? Evil. Evo. Yeah, E-V-O-E. Evo. And I keep thinking about this word. I've come across this several times. And I wonder how it was used. You know, what is it, a bacchanal? Mm. Yes. Can't you just see this guy? He's this big, fat guy. He's at the bacchanal, and his toga's all rumpled, and it's covered with mead. He's hollering, evil! <laughs> Let's go! <laughs> Bring on the girls, Evil! And his wife says, come on, Charlie, you're making a fool of yourself. Evil! Oh, school, evil! And little did he realize that he was contributing to the crossword puzzle world of ten billion centuries later. 
when the only Bacchanalian we, we know, when the only Bacchanalian cry that any of us ever hear is a four-letter word that pops up on the Sunday Times crossword puzzle. How oh, sad. Evo. E-V-O-E. Will someone look that up for me and see what the dictionary says about it? <laughs> is it said with an exclamation point, or is it said, uh, said tongue-in-cheek like uh, Evo, baby? Is that the way it's said? Or is it shouted, Evo! And you're falling down the stone steps into that sea of champagne where the Nubian handmaidens are swimming around there and uh, throwing grapes at one another. Oh, boy, that's the way to live, you know, really. It really is, you know, Jim. We don't do it anymore, walking around here, living like idiots. Evo, Evo, I say. Evo to all of you. Too bad. Yes, it is true that Miro Hogue had a size six and a half foot on one foot, and the other was size four and a half. He was a good fielder, though, Miro Hogue. I mean, in case you're interested. Did I tell you that when I finished that that piece on the on the Steve Allen show, I had gotten off the air about thirty seconds when a telegram arrived from Billy Rogel. Do you remember Billy Rogel? He was a, a shortstop for the Giants. And I got a note, and all it said was, Luke Appling couldn't go to his right. <laughs> Eternal sorehead out there. <laughs> Be careful, Billy. I'm going to do a piece on you. I'll do a piece on on uh, a shortstop named Bartell. You remember Bartell? Billy Bartell? Funny thing about Bartell. I remember Bartell came to Chicago. He played with the Chicago Cubs. And Bartell... He used to make these. This is so typical of all of us. Really, you know, you can you can see all of us reflected in baseball in the world of baseball. Bartell used to make these fantastic stops. He would go to his right, make this tremendous stop, and he would whirl. And it was a sure hit going into left left field. See, and Bartell would slide on his keister and reach out and make this sensational stop. And he would rise to his feet and he would throw the ball. He would make this beautiful sweeping throw, and it would go in the upper deck. That <laughs> was Bartell. <laughs> he used to do the most fantastic overthrowing of first I ever heard in my life. And, in fact, it got to the point where they had to put a screen back of first base, Jerry, to get the overthrows. There were too many spectators getting it right above the left eye. Poor old Bartell. But, you know, you, you, you pick it up and you, you hope. I, I remember the time Ripper Radcliffe, though. Ripper Radcliffe one time was up at bat. I remember this very distinctly. When Radcliffe hit a ball with this cheap bat that the White Sox supplied him with, he hit this ball and the end of the bat came off. He busted it off and the end of the bat went out to left center field almost to the wall. The ball rolled to the pitcher's mound. <laughs> the, the center fielder, being a creature of habit, fielded it. He came tearing in on it and <laughs> caught it on the short hop and, of course, overthrew it into the upper deck, the end of the bat. I mean, a man works just on a, you know, like a machine after a while. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, we have another thing here, don't we? Yes. Oh, yes, yes, indeed, he won't. I have a note for the electronic workshop, which uh, is uh, one of our favorite people. And if you... Uh, I, I would like to say uh, a few brief notes on behalf of them. One of them is this, that Below the electronic workshop, they have opened a beautiful record shop. It's called the Music Age, and this particular record shop 
is a shop that specializes. You know, most record shops today are kind of big cut-rate operations where they're all jockeying for position and taking out great big ads and saying a monster sale this week and monster sale this and monster sale that. And uh, most of them sell the big standard items, the stuff that, that uh, you know, just the, the, the run-of-the-mind stuff, and they're just jockeying each other back and forth on the price basis. But this particular record shop specializes in the stuff which is largely not easily procured. As a matter of fact, they have a man on the staff who does nothing but spend all of his time getting unusual, hard-to-get items for people who have been looking for such items for years. As a matter of fact, they say that they'll, they'll guarantee to get anything that is available somewhere within 72 hours for you. In fact, uh, one of the little stories, interesting thing about it, was that a guy came in a couple of weeks ago and wanted a copy of a record that I had made. And you know, I didn't think any of these were available anymore. A record called Into the Unknown. I made this in 1955. Do you recall it? An LP. Yeah. I made an LP in 1955, and I didn't even have a copy of it. And they got this for the guy within 24 hours. I don't know where they got it. But this is the music agent. Oh, speaking of LPs, I have just finished work on another LP, which should be available in about a month. There will be more on that later. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a knuckle-cracking record. I, I do several request numbers, and then I do... We'll tell you about that later. But anyway, this is the music age which is at 26 West 8th Street. And one of the lines of records that they carry there, which I have been a fan of for years, is Deutsches Grammophon, uh, the uh, very difficult-to-obtain series of magnificent German records, uh, probably the finest hi-fi records in the world today. And if you're a real hi-fi fan and you're looking for the, the truly unusual in records, you will find it at the Music Age, which is just below the electronic workshop on A Street. It's right in the heart of the machine-made hand jewelry department of the village. Right in the heart of it all there. It's on A Street between, uh, oh, you go off 6th Avenue towards 5th, and you'll see it. It's on the downtown side of the street. And the Electronic Workshop, incidentally, is a rather unique organization, too, in that they stand behind the high-fidelity equipment that they sell. You know, so many of these people have a kind of, uh, what is the... Uh, what is the old Croatian phrase that stands for buyer beware? Uh, uh, oh, uh, Inhalk Spittlunk. Yeah, Inhalk Spittlunk, I believe, was an old Croatian phrase which means buyer beware or stay off the grass. Uh, they are completely, you know, 180 degrees out of phrase with that. Their particular, their particular uh, attitude is extempore mores doc, which is a rather interesting attitude, which means uh, you are standing on my foot. This is, of course, an analogy. It's really a kind of a parallel, which means my house is yours, welcome and sit. It's a very interesting attitude in business, and you'll find this at the electronic workshop. And if, if, you, if you really want to guess, pick up the phone and call Gramercy 30140 and try them out on it. Say, extempore more duck, and uh, they will fill in the rest of the phrase, which you'll find has uh, quite a bit of meaning in today's life. And also, if your preamp has been giving you trouble, and if you've been looking for a hi-fi place where you can really sit down and chew the fat about the equipment and save money doing it, 
It's the Electronic Workshop at 26 West 8th Street, and the number is Gramercy 30140. I think it's been too long, too long, too long, and I haven't really seriously looked at the scratchy parts of my personality, not the way that I should. Uh, I, I have, uh, uh, for example, one more item of interest. This is a note taken from a magazine, the Canadian magazine, McLean's. And listen to this note. Uh, would you please give me my gothic music, Jim? Just a little touch of gothic music. The statement that people who do not eat meat are quarrelsome fanatics is false. I get the impression that some large interests are paying your magazine to print such an article to boost the sale of animal fat. Sign Mrs. E.W. Johnson, president of the Toronto Vegetarian Association. We are not quarrelsome people. <laughs> Somehow you can't help but stand in awe at mankind. Hi, George, I'm singing rather well today in the gothic mode. I really feel it. Mrs. E.W. Johnson, we stand. We stand only. We have a note here that says, Are you aware that the tree immortalized by Mr. Kilmer is actually growing here in the fetid state of New Jersey? In New Brunswick, to be exact. It's an oak tree. I have seen it often. I went to look in her hair for the nest of robins and found that it does not do to get too close to this tree. The ground underneath is covered with beer cans and other assorted objects which we cannot mention. I suppose it is often disillusioning to get too close to a famous person. Have you noticed that I have a nest of robins in my hair today? Ah, we are celebrating the equal Vernonox. And very shortly, we will put up the maypole and all the girls from Bryn Mawr will dance about in their ancient druidic rite. The maypole is now a togetherness symbol. Come on, bring it up there, Jimmy. We've got to be surrounded by this gothic music. Uh-oh, we're surrounded by a gothic AC hum. Ah, there they go. Let's go, let's swing it. All right, that's enough. Stop, stop, stop. Speaking of gothic... It might interest you to know that the Village Voice is the last of the gothic newspapers in New York. In fact, in this entire nation. The Village Voice, in case you haven't encountered the Village Voice, is one of the last of the gothic newspapers. What is meant by gothic? I suggest you look it up. You'll know exactly what I mean for those of you who are Village Voice fans. Gothic, rich, ripe, deep, echoing through the halls of time. And uh, seriously, friends, as Bert Parks would say, seriously, I've been connected with the Village Voice now for three years, and one of the most satisfactory things in my life in the past three years has been the observance of the growth of this newspaper. It has grown from this little seed until today. It's something like 15,000 in circulation and is read, by the way, by some of the most interesting people in this country. Now, this is not one of these uh, you-two-can-be-in type spots. 
but it is read by these people merely because this is an interesting, very significant newspaper. Uh, they won several of the top awards in the newspaper business in the past year or so. And uh, if you would like to find out about the Village Voice, which completely covers all of the off-Broadway world, and by the way, here's another thing. If you want to know anything about the Village, give these guys a call uh, because they maintain a uh, village, a village information service, and their telephone number, if you would like to take a subscription to this paper for $3 one year, every week. I had a, Did you see my article last week, Jan? I had an article in it last week. Of course, it was blacked out in Staten Island, and they did not allow it to be distributed in Queens because of the number of women and children out there. But that's Watkins 4, 4669. Give them a call right now. The hard-hitting Gothic editor is standing by to take your call, and they will take out-of-town calls. They will take collect calls for subscriptions. They will bill you. Watkins 4, 4669. That's in New York. And don't forget, the Grand Union special today is ready-to-eat smoked hams. Full-cut shank half, only 39 cents a pound. Details at the Grand Union near you. Save cash and stamps at Metropolitan New York, New Jersey, Grand Union supermarkets. Uh, Harold Murchison here. We'll be back uh, tomorrow night at 9.30 for the fist fight hour. This is WOR Radio, your station for news. Impossible. That's what everybody said when they heard... What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.